Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Uh, the late Australian cricket commentator, Richie Benno, was well known for his use of the adjective marvellous. This past week, we have been on the Taylor family farm in Cornwall, and it's been a marvellous week. Uh, I've had experiences I've never had before. Uh, last Monday morning, I was in a box, which is a rather creative name for the attachment of the back of a tractor. I'm no, no doubt you know all that. Uh, I was hanging on in the box, and William Taylor, the rector, uh, was driving the tractor, and we were heading down a very steep hill. I was holding on very tightly. Uh, we stopped halfway down, and William said, now it gets really dangerous. I don't know what it was before that, but uh, eventually we survived that. I've always had a fascination for tractors, and uh, I used to cause my sisters great pain by always riding, uh, sitting on tractors at the Sydney Royal Easter Show. But this week, I got to drive a tractor for the first time in my life and for the last time. Um, it's been a great week uh, of new experiences, which at my age, uh, is quite rare. Some of those experiences have been welcome, and as you can see, some of them have been unwelcome, but it was an unmissable week. Well, I'm here to preach, so that's what I plan to do. Please pray with me. We thank you that this week you bring us, our Heavenly Father, to this psalm, a psalm for giving thanks. And as a result of that, we pray that we will be thankful in all things, for this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Our family consists of 26 close members, that is children, their spouses, their children, 26. And it's my wife's Maxine's role to look after all the birthdays, which is quite uh, a big role. Uh, 26 times she has to send out presents, 26 times reminders that a phone call needs to be made. And I have a relatively easier task. I just look after Christmas. One day, I just concentrate on the gifts for that one day for everyone. Last Christmas, I gave all of the families an Australian flag because I thought it's a great opportunity for them to fly the flag uh, with a sense of national pride. Uh, on Australia Day, for example, fly the flag. On Anzac Day, when we commemorate, commemorate the war service of our men and women. <clears throat> if we ever beat the English at the ashes, fly the flag. It's a good opportunity. A fly the flagging is a good thing. But I also gave them a DVD of a movie, which I commend to you. It's a movie called A, a, a Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood and it concerns a man by the name of Fred Rogers, who for many decades in the United States uh, ran a children's program on US television specifically designed for children. He was an ordained Christian minister, and he was set apart at his ordination for ministry to children. 
Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers began each day with a three-word prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for life. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to love and to be loved. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to serve. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to know you and to walk with you. Thank you, God. It's a great prayer. Three words. A wonderful start to the day. Some of you will know the Gideon's Bibles, which you find in hotels. And if you look in the front cover of the Gideon's Bible, it has a heading which says, where to look when. Where to look when you're fearful. Where to look when you're worried and anxious. And there are more references in that page to the Psalms than to any other book of the Bible. And here is a Psalm, Psalm 100, and I guess it could appear in the Gideon's Bible, where to look when you're looking for words with which you can thank God. And that's why the introduction to this Psalm says a Psalm for giving thanks. You haven't experienced, most of you, the coronation of our monarch but we will probably in future days experience the coronation of a monarch and you will find that the mandatory Bible reading at the coronation of our monarch is Psalm 100. It is a psalm for giving thanks. A few years ago, I was in Edinburgh for a convention and on the Wednesday night of the convention, they had a, a, an opportunity of what they called Highland Praise, a group of people about this number and we just sang without any musical accompaniment. Donnie was our presenter, and we sang the psalms, the metrical psalms. But without doubt, the great psalm that we sang that night was this psalm, Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. No doubt you were raised by parents who said, say thank you. And here is God's thank you note. This is how we say thank you, and God says say thank you with an economy of words in five verses, God's thank you note. And of course, Thanksgiving sets us apart from the animal world, doesn't it? You ever watch those uh, uh, shows on television where someone cooks up a mighty meal and all the friends come in and here's this lovely table, candlelight, food everywhere. And someone says the rather banal, bon appetit. But don't you at that moment, surrounded by friends, this food came from somewhere. Someone has prepared this food. Is there not more that can be said than bon appetit? Aren't we drawn to give thanks? A psalm for giving thanks. An outstanding psalm. It is the 100th psalm. And the 100th psalm stands out in the Psalter and the key theme of the 100th psalm is thanksgiving. And what immediately strikes you if you run your eyes down this psalm is that what a respectful psalm it is. It not only tells us what to do, but it recognises that we are rational beings and it tells us why to do it. Look at the six verbs. There are six verbs here, uh, six instructions, six commands, six imperatives. Look at verse 1. Make a joyful noise. Verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Verse 2. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Verse 4, give thanks to him. Verse 4, bless his name. But you will know that in your own personal Bible reading, there is a rule for Bible reading that whenever you see a what in Scripture, wherever you see a command, 
there will be a why, there will be a reason for the command nearby. Now, God, of course, alone has the right to say, well, do it because I said so and I'm God. But God never does that. Whenever God gives us a what, he gives us a why. And it's a good lesson, isn't it, for us as parents. We tell our children what to do and we expect instant instant obedience, and that's fine. But when our children get to a certain age, we must also add the reason, the why, to the what so that they don't abandon the what by not understanding the why. And so good parenting requires us to say, this is what you are to do, and this is the good reason for doing it, the what and the why. And so scripture always comes to us, God always speaks to us and says, this is what to do, and this is why to do it. Now you'll know that when Jesus came, his message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What? Why? Because of the mercies of God. Look at the very Ten Commandments. They begin with the why. I am the Lord your God who redeemed you. There's the why. Now live this way. There is the what in the light of your redemption. Now notice here there are six what's and there are six why's. And the six whys are in verses 3 and 5. Verse 3, why? Because the Lord, he is God. Secondly, verse 3, he made us and we are his. Verse 3, thirdly, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 5, fourthly, the Lord is good. Verse 5, his steadfast love endures forever. He is eternally loving. Yes, no matter how wayward we as sheep become. Verse 5, finally, he is generationally faithful to all generations. He keeps his word from one generation to the next. So there it is, a psalm for giving thanks. Six watts, verse 1, 2, and 4. Six wise, verses 3 and 5. And the whys punctuate the psalm because they make the what's essential. Now, Bishop Ryle, who was the Bishop of Liverpool from 1880 to 1900, who had a great influence for the gospel in that diocese, said when he was an old man, I seldom meet a young person who is humble or an old person who is contented. And it's true, isn't it, that contentment is an elusive goal. And yet if you come to this psalm, The aspiration as we grow older is always for humility, but also for contentment. Lord, make me a Psalm 100 person. Now, I put it to you that that is a very good prayer for us to pray on a daily basis. And I found it a very helpful prayer to pray these last few days. Lord, make me a Psalm 100 person. Well, here are six reasons to be thankful. Have a look at them. First, verse three. Let's look at the six whys. The Lord, he is God. It's very stark, isn't it? There's no debate. The Lord is God, and here's the surprise, you are not. You are not in control of your destiny. You are not the master of your universe. The Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is God, and there is no other. Baal is not God. The Assyrian gods are not God. The rapper Kanye West got it right, didn't he? And Kanye West said, Jesus is king. That's what he said. 
There's a theology of the Bible wrapped up in one. The theology of the Bible is that the Lord is God and Jesus Christ is Lord. There are no others. There are no other versions of divinity within the Godhead. There are no other additions. He alone is God and he is the Lord. That's a big reason to give him thanks because there's no one else. Secondly, verse 3, he made us. Look at the opposite. Well, no, I made me. No, oh, well, I made him. We didn't make him. He doesn't exist, owe his existence to our creative handiwork. He made us. We are the product of his handiwork. We are not self-made people. He, the psalmist says, and we'll look at this next week, he knit me, he uses the word, he embroidered me, the fine embroidery point, he embroidered me together when I was in my mother's womb. God made us when we were made in the secret place. He made us. And the principle, of course, is that that which you make, you own, unless you sell your labour to someone else. But that which I make belongs to me, unless I've sold my labour to someone else. And God makes us, and therefore God has a claim on us. I'm a creature made by a creator, and the creator has a claim on me. But notice that the Christian is under a double claim because not only does the creator make us, but the creator redeems us and buys us back from the bondage of sin. So I have a double sense of ownership, a double sense of his lordship. He has a double claim on me, creation and redemption. He made us all owned by creation the believer twice owned by creation and redemption. Thirdly, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, verse 3. Now, I know I've met enough shepherds to know that a sheep's life and the quality of a sheep's life depends much on the quality of its shepherd. I've known shepherds who would rather be anything else than a shepherd, and their sheep bear testimony to that. But I've known shepherds who care, who nurture, who are focused on the flock. We have a powerful and experienced shepherd. Now, I don't know who wrote Psalm 100. I don't know whether he was a shepherd. But I do know that King David was a shepherd. And remember that David was the youngest son of Jesse and he was looking after the family sheep. And then he gets a note, come, because Samuel wants to see you. And he goes to Samuel, and Samuel looks at all the sons of Jesse, and God says, this is the man, anoint him as the new king of Israel. And Samuel anoints David as the new king of Israel, and what does David do? Does he go and set himself out in a new set of clothes, kingly robes? No. He goes back to the flock. He goes back to the sheep. He's responsible for his father's sheep. And so that night, the sheep were shepherded by the newly anointed king of Israel. That morning, just the youngest son of Jesse. David knew what it was like to have and be a faithful shepherd. And no doubt David may well have sung this psalm. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. See how wonderful it is to be the sheep of his pasture, the Lord who is God outside this flock there is chaos. Outside this flock, luck reigns. If you're outside this flock, chance reigns and fate reigns. But in this flock, we know that he rules 
and nothing can frustrate his shepherdly purpose. In this flock is eternal security. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Great privilege, our shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. Fourthly, look at verse 5. For the Lord is good. He's morally perfect. He's not careless or badly motivated. He doesn't do things on the whim. All he does is good. Let's see him say, the king of love my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. He is good. Verse 5, he never ceases to love you. Look at the way the inspired words build on one another. Each word strengthens the earlier word. His steadfast, that is his enduring and persistent love, that is his will to do the best for the other, his steadfast love endures, it persists through our double-mindedness and our wandering, dopey waywardness. His steadfast love endures for how long? Forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Every word strengthens the previous word. If you've got your own Bible there, underline it. Steadfast love endures forever. Though I wander, steadfast love endures forever. Though I'm foolish, steadfast love endures forever. Though I'm apathetic, steadfast love endures forever. Though I'm undeserving and unlovable, his steadfast love endures forever. John Newton, I'm an old man and I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great saviour. His steadfast love endures forever. And then sixthly, verse five, his faithfulness to all generations. What an incredible thing. The God of the impossible. There is only one thing impossible for God it is impossible for God to act contrary to himself. It is impossible for God not to be God. It is impossible for God to say one thing and yet to do something contrary. That is the great impossibility for God. It is impossible for God to be faithless. He is faithful. He will keep every promise and he will keep every word of warning. And look around you, dear friends, the thing that overwhelms us when we come to England here is that there are churches here which are older than the Commonwealth of Australia. At Ashburnham, there was a church that was built in 1663. Can you imagine that? Australia as a continent was discovered in 1770. There are graves down there which are older than Australia. Look around Look around at the plaques on the wall. Look around generation to generation to generation. And a consistent testimony. Generationally faithful. He is faithful to all generations. And I can remember four generations that God has been faithful to. He is faithful to all generations. So make a joyful noise. Serve him, sing, praise him, thank him, bless him. Fred Rogers, thank you, God. Helen Rosevier goes from Cambridge, where she has a medical degree, to the Congo with one message. The God who made you loves you. The God who made you loves you. No wonder the old Psalter says, O enter then his gates with praise, approach with joy his courts unto. Praise, Lord, and magnify his name always, for it is seemly. So to do. It is seemly so to do. 
Are you a Psalm 100 person? Is Psalm 100 your native language? Or are you self-made, proud, discontented, uncertain in your relationship with God, loved but not knowing it? What a tragedy. Are you a Psalm 100 person? I was a student at Theological College in Sydney. We had a brilliant Old Testament lecturer by the name of Bill Dumbrell, Dr. Bill Dumbrell, PhD from Harvard University, an expert in seven ancient Middle Eastern languages, an author of many books. And when he was about to retire, he was asked what he was to do in retirement. He said, I'm going to live my life according to three themes. Don't whine, don't shine, don't recline. Don't W-H-I-N-E. Don't whine, don't complain under one's lot. Don't shine, don't seek to excel in a way which is obvious to others. And don't recline, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't shine, don't whine, don't shine, don't recline. And Bill Dumbra was a good man. Bill Dumbra was a Psalm 100 man. Is Psalm 100 your native language? Make it your prayer. Make me, Lord, a Psalm 100 person. All right, three conclusions as I close. First of all, notice how comprehensive these whys are. First, look at verse 1. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. Uh, in the old translation, it's even more emphatic. All people, everyone, all people on earth without exception, all people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord. The Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus is our creator. Other gods are imaginary and are the product of our creative imagination. All people owe him allegiance. The scripture tells us that all creation was through the Lord Jesus and for the Lord Jesus. You were made through him and you were made for him and you are never more human than when you bow the knee to the Lord Jesus himself. He alone is God and we are made in his image and to be truly human is to bow the knee to him because you've been made for him. I'm on the council of a large boys' school in Sydney and the chairman said recently, our goal is that each boy bow the knee to God and stand tall before men. Bow the knee to God and stand tall before men. What a great privilege. All people come. And yet I know religious people and their greatest fear and the greatest source of their anxiety is their religion. Their greatest fear and anxiety is that they are bullied by impossible demands that they cannot keep in their religion. Can you imagine the effect of verse 5? For this Lord, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. His Bill Quashik, a high-born Pakistani lady. One night she has a dream. In the dream she has a copy of the Bible in one hand and the Quran in the other. Which one will she read? And the voice in the dream says, read the book which calls me father. She knows that's not the Quran, so she takes up the Bible and reads it and becomes a follower of Christ. She came to know the wonder of verse 5. This Lord, he is good. This Lord is steadfastly loving. This Lord is faithful to all generations. And she wrote her testimony in the book, I dared to call him Father. I dared to call him Father. It's comprehensive. All the earth, come. 
Secondly, notice it is anticipatory. Here the psalmist comes to courts. Look at verse 4. He comes to gates. He comes to courts. He's coming to a place. He's coming, obviously, to the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, you don't come to a temple or tabernacle. You come to a person. And the true temple is where you meet God and where God will have you meet him and where God reveals himself. And in the New Testament, God reveals himself in a person. He reveals himself in Jesus. He is the true temple of God. That's where we meet God. No one has seen, if you see me, you've seen the Father. That's what the Lord Jesus said. God, the only one at the Father's side, has made him known. Whoever has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. He is the explanation of God. He is God in the action replay. He is the exposition of God. We come not to a place, but we come to a person. So verse 4, we come to Jesus with thanksgiving. Verse 4, we come to Jesus with praise. This is a psalm which anticipates the place where God reveals himself, and it's not a place. It is a person in the Lord Jesus, God in the flesh. And thirdly, notice the reasons. None of them are circumstantial. We're not told to give thanks because things are going well. Give thanks because the market's up. Give thanks because of real estate values. Give thanks because the preferred party is in power in Westminster. The wise relate to the circumstances of life. No, the wise relate to the unchanging character of God. You see, anyone can thrive when things are going well. You don't impress anyone in the office when you thrive because you've made a good decision and things are going well. But because God never changes and he is our creator and faithful and loving shepherd, we are specialists in thriving in the midst of catastrophe. That is the Christian specialty. We thrive in the midst of catastrophe because we know that God rules, that he is the Lord, that he is faithful, that he never breaks his word, and that he's a loving shepherd. And that is why the great untouchables of the early century are always the lepers. And the Christians were in the vanguard of seeking out the lepers and ministering to them. And in the middle of the third century, in North Africa, in Carthage, when the plague hit the city and people just dumped their loved ones in the street, it was Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage, who organised the Christians together to gather the bodies and give them a decent burial and look after the essential services. And when the bubonic plague hit in the 14th century, read your history. It was the Christian orders who came and gave people a, a decent burial and also who looked after them and looked after their welfare. Christians thrive in the midst of catastrophe because we know that God's greatest gift to us is himself. And we know that to know God is what life is all about and is the great purpose of life. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. The person who has God and everything else is no better off than the person who simply has God. The person who has God and everything else is no better off than the person who has God. When my health is good, Psalm 100 is my response. When my health is not good, Psalm 100 is my response. 
Here is a man in the Old Testament who lost his seven sons and his three daughters, and this is what he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. General observation. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I've seen a farmer who had many acres of wheat and many acres of cotton, and he, under threat, under a hail attack, lost them all. And one of his workers said to him, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and spat on the ground as if to mock him. And the man said, you finish that verse. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Christians thrive in the midst of catastrophe. Dear friends, what is God's will for you today? Well, let the Apostle Paul speak. He says, God's will for you today is that you be thankful in all things, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And here's the old Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, gets bashed and robbed in the streets of London. And he says, I give thanks for three things. One, they robbed me, but they didn't get much. Two, they took my money, not my life. They took my money, not my life. And three, it was I who was robbed and not the one doing the robbing. Not the one doing the robbing. There's always things to thank God for. Make me a Psalm 100 person. And of course, we have more reason to be a Psalm 100 person than the author of Psalm 100 because we have seen the clearest revelation of God in his son, the Lord Jesus, and the clearest manifestation of his love at the cross and the greatest reason for hope in the resurrection. And the author of Psalm 100 didn't have any of those things. We have Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection. So I put it to you, here are wise that are comprehensive, all people that are anticipatory of Jesus and that are not circumstantial, but are all about God. And so the psalm, a psalm for giving thanks, Make a joyful noise, all peoples on earth. Serve the Lord with gladness, not as a drudge. Come into his presence with singing. Know that he is God and you are not. Know that he made us and we did not make him and we did not make ourselves. We are his. We are his people. Know that we are sheep of his pasture. What a flock to be a part of, to be part of his flock and his pasture. Enter then his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks. Uh, enter then his gates with uh, give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Well, please join me in prayer. God, our shepherd king, please make us Psalm 100 people. And we pray with thanksgiving in the name of the Lord Jesus, trusting in his merits alone. Amen.